Welcome to the Most of the Best Podcast, a podcast for agricultural entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Trey Wasserberger. Okay, guys, Trey Wasserberger here, Most of the Best Podcast. I've uh, been excited about this one for a while now. Um, I've got the original uh, cow guy, uh, Scott Shelley, on, on today. Welcome. Thanks for being on. Uh, not a problem at all. Thanks for having me. Hey, you bet. Uh, you guys know Scott. He's on RFD TV, RFD TV every day. He's known as a cow guy. Um, been in the business a long time. So take us where it all started, Scott. Well, I'm actually not the original cow guy. My father is. and He got in the business in 1962 when he graduated from Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, um, and uh, took a job with Cargill. Um, so that was our family's foray into ag. Um he was with Cargill for um, about 14 years, till about 1975, 76, when uh, he went on his own. And around that time, he went on his own. He was also able to purchase, well, around 1970, we purchased our first bit of land in, in Illinois for our first farm, which was only 80 acres, but it's now grown to be uh, around 800. Um, and uh, from, the, from 1970, which would have put me at five years old, I've been going up there and working um, the whole time, except for when I went away to college and except for when I went away to work in uh, in London. So my father was the actual first guy to wear a black and white cow jacket. He wore that in the pits of Chicago, and he did it for um, – he, he did it because he, he wanted to let people know there's a visitor's gallery, which everybody that's ever seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off has seen – but he did it because he wanted everybody in the visitors gallery to ask the question of why is he wearing he wore a black and white Holstein gal jacket in the pits and and he uh, he turned some of the guards that were guarding the uh, visitors gallery into museum docents where he would give them the top ten most asked questions and they would give you know they would be able to give the answers and why is that guy wearing a black and white jacket while well, my father wanted to attract attention to the fact that. There's an important economic function taking place in those pits. It's not just gambling. Um, why is it black and white? Well, we owned, uh, you know, we, we milked, we milked uh, about 200 head of cattle twice a day for a while, not for a long time, but maybe about 15, 20 years. Um, and, uh, and he just wanted to be able to advertise his craft. Now, I was still growing up in the business uh, and going to school. And when I came home from college and, uh, gave the business a try. I, I liked it, but I uh, I got sent to London right away. So I started in the business in 1988, and uh, I got sent to London in 1989, um, and I was there for 16 years. And so I traded on the floors of the Life Exchange, but I also happened to run the largest Japanese bank in London for three years, and then I floated a technology company that brought trading to your desktop a lot like CQG or trading technologies or one of those types of things in in 2001. So I've had a kind of whirlwind kind of a, a tour, um, but I've been in the business for 30, this is my 37th year, 36 years, I would say six, uh, 16 of them in London, um, 19 of them in Chicago and about two, well, 18 in Chicago and two and a half, three years here in Nashville where I've been um, in the media side of the business full time. So when my father retired in 2001, I, uh, I started to wear, uh, I, I, I was in London for 16 years, 12 years of the first go. I came back in 2002 and then I went back again in 2015 for 
five, four or five years. So I, I was there for a total of 16. But when I came back uh, the first time around, my father was thinking about retiring. So he retired. I wore his jacket in 2002 as a kind of a, uh, a game worn Jersey per se. Um, and about that time we had a big movement of money into our markets. The hedge funds moved in ag in the ag world. We were trading on the Chicago board of trade. I traded corn options. He traded corn futures. Um, and everybody wanted to talk to the big guy wearing the black and white jacket. And my father had retired by then. So it was just me. And so I started to do a little bit of media here and there. Successful farming approached me in 2002 to do a, like a weekly recap of what traded in the pits. Um, and back when you just started having camera, good cameras on say the iPhones and, and such. And that led to um, one of the gentlemen, the, ed the editor of uh, Successful Farming in Chicago said, you know, you're not bad at this. Maybe you should uh, go up to the exchange and see if they want to use another face. Because by then they had Rick Santelli. They had other pretty famous people at the Chicago Board of Trade giving market reports from the exchange on all the other news channels. So I waddled up there and asked if they needed anybody. And they promptly told me to pound sand. They said that they had 100 guys like me, and they didn't need 101. So as I turned on my heels and walked out of the production booth in Chicago, somebody had just passed me walking into the office, and he he, he happened to quit right there and then. Hmm. And uh, before I left, they asked me if I knew anything about lumber. Now, I don't know that much about lumber, but I thought to myself, I'm not going to get another chance like this again, so... I better say yes. And so I said, yeah, I know a little bit about lumber. And they said, okay, great. You're on the third camera. You're going to be on Bloomberg in three minutes. So as quickly <laughs> as I, as quickly as I can get my fat little fingers to go through my phone and look up the you know, recent prices, a little bit of trend, you know, trading trend history. Um, I, I was able to, to, to pull that off. And um, uh, that's how they say the rest is history. I mean, I, I had a knack for it. And, Slowly but surely, I went from being the 100th guy in the totem pole to the number one guy in the totem pole yeah. when I went back to London uh, the second time around in 2015. And then uh, in London, I was able to take it a little bit further. I did BBC, Sky, you know, all, all the all of their channels. And then I did a lot of European uh, and, and Middle Eastern channels as well as some Asian ones. So uh, it's it just kind of took on a life of its own. Now, I always wanted to have the ability to do it. Because I was always leery of what uh, technology was going to do to the floor traders. And I, I failed to mention, but in 2015, when I went back to London, that's the same year that they shut the pits down in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So um, I was able to extend my career a little longer. They didn't have any more pits in, in London anymore, but I was still be able, I was still able to do my business from upstairs. But when I finally came back in 2020, um, or 20, just before the pandemic, 2019, uh, I had this opportunity. To, uh, to come out here in, in Nashville, and, and I took it full time. So that's kind of a, a, a rough background of where I went from uh, being a trader in the pits to being somebody that talks about it on television. But the best way I can describe it is I kind of feel like Tony Romo, and I used to do it on the field. And now I talk about it in the press box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I loved your introduction to your dad, Ron. You know, it's kind of cool. Iowa native, 
um, really, really spent a lot of his time between a commodity trader and broker and into the farm. And so it's really cool. You know, people forget that sometimes maybe that there is actual people's livelihoods being traded with. So it's very cool. And you continue that legacy on. Hey, let's just get into it. I, I wanted to have you on here, Scott. We see you on RFD TV and the and the and the cow guy clothes and every and everything else. What is going on with these commodities, specifically feeder cattle and live cattle? Well, I mean, everybody that's trading them is getting a good, a good uh, education and sentiment change. That's for sure. Um, I'll, I'll back up just one second more, and then I'll, I'll launch. But uh, you know, I, 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 you know, having had a, you know, we still have our farm, uh, but we lease the land out now. My father passed away about nine years ago, and uh, uh, we, we, I say on my show, I said that on my show again today. I don't want to be the broker that tries to tell the producer when to buy and sell or manage their positions for them or, you know, we're not there to help you farm. Um, but what I am there to do is I'm there to help you uh, make money and good financial decisions with the money you make from farming. Right. And that's really resonated because um, there's a million and one brokers out there that say buy here or sell there. Um, I absolutely have my opinions and I state them on the show all the time. Mine's an opinion show, so I do, but, uh, uh so I'll, I'll give you my opinion now, but I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in helping the farmers out there because I think it's probably the largest, most underserved, wealthiest investment class mm. in the world, in the world. They just, you know, if my friends on wall street or in the banking world in London knew how well off the agricultural community was in America, um, they would drop what they're doing and go after those guys as customers and gals for that matter, um, right away. But they just, for some reason, you know, there's three things that we can trade in this world, agriculture, agriculture stuff. Uh, and then the derivatives off of that interest rates and the derivatives off of that. What I mean by that is currencies, anything interest rates would affect currencies, bonds, and the likes. Right. And the last thing would be equities. So equities, interest rates, and, and commodities are the three things. And, it just so happens that commodities keep getting, you know, treated like the, the, the ugly stepsister all the time. And, and, and it's not the case. And so I really feel because we have a background in it, we still have a family farm and I, I was raised, uh, you know, not living on the farm all the time per se. Yeah, I definitely spent a lot of nights out there. I've got my bedroom and the house out there, but we also had a house in Chicago because my father had a business on the board of trade, but, um, I, I have a, I have a connection and, 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 and I wanted to be able to establish that. So we have the cow guy clothes so I can help rural America make good decisions with the money they make by being farmers and ranchers. Mm-hmm. So now that you've got that out of the way, um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we just had a, 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 a just a phenomenal uh, attraction to our markets commodities when I'm talking about because of uh, inflation uh, that we haven't seen in a long time, right? So these markets got really busy when we have started to have this inflation problem. Because if you follow the likes of a commodity guru like Dennis Cartman or anybody else of that ilk, they always say that if you want gonna go, if you're gonna go through a, an inflationary period, you want to own things that uh, hurt if you drop them on your foot. Well, that's a terrible oversimplification, but it's a good idea mm-hmm. because assets inflate in inflate in inflation times uh so that's what you want to own so that would be gold or a house or you know something that inflates in value a hard asset 
and so naturally, um, a lot of that hedge fund money that came into our markets in the early 2000s came flooding back in uh, basically 20, uh, 20 years later when we had this inflation problem with the interest rates being kept artificially low for too long. Um, and we came out of that pandemic when everybody had a bunch, of, a bunch of cash and man, we exploded. So if you go back and look at the like five-year averages, we're still higher than the five-year averages. I mean, you have to be careful about getting too excited and getting out over your skis. And as my father and I would always say, you know, it, you know, that's one thing that sucks about grains is that it's, it's almost inflation proof because we keep getting more and more out of the same piece of ground, right? I mean, in nineteen in the nineteen thirties, the average bushel per acre for corn was thirty. You know, so that 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 same acre today is is going to give you one eight, you know, whatever, depending on where you're at. That could be over two hundred. So it's so inflation. You know, it's it, it, sometimes farming's your own worst enemy because you're producing more with the same amount, and that keeps your prices lower. For longer, which isn't the ideal thing to do, but I think that uh, we, we've seen a lot of money come into the market, so everybody got used to um, high prices and a lot of action. And well, that big sucking sound you've heard over the last six, twelve, maybe even a little longer, is that money leaving mm-hmm. as inflation started to come down, right? Because well, as inflation was going up at a lesser pace, that's another thing that your listeners should know is that uh, inflation doesn't inflation is not coming down. Inflation is going up, but at a slower pace. As long as there's a plus in front of it, we're going to get CPI this week, PPI this week. CPI is a big inflation measure, yep. which, you know, they're expecting a 3.1% reading. Well, that means prices are still higher by 3.1% this year than they were this time last year. And like the way I like to say it on my show with my viewers is, if I told you that I'm gaining weight at a lesser rate this year than I gained it last year, yeah. does that mean I'm getting thinner? No. But that's what the media likes to say all the time. So. Inflation is still going up, but not like it was. So we've lost a lot of that inflationary hedge business, even though um, it's it's kind of tamed itself. And interest rates are also a lot higher. So there's other uh, um, places you can put your money. If you don't know what's going on, you can park it in a, a two-year uh, instrument and get close to 5% while you wait, or even, even less than that. So uh, now we've got a situation where our, our markets aren't uh, – aren't as high as obviously they were. We, we've come out of that hangover from the Russia-Ukraine conflict or war. Uh, and now you've seen a sentiment change in cattle like you guys haven't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think that's uh, indicative of, uh, and I'm not mad about it. I think speculators are really good for the markets. So they provide liquidity on the way up and the way down. Um, but a lot of folks got out over their skis and fundamentally nothing significant to me has changed as far as cattle go, except for the sentiment. Sentiment's a really, really strong thing. Um, and so we we have gone from an always buy the dip market to now we're in, an, in a sell the, in the sell the rally market. And you, you have to, you know, that's the psychological part of trading. And I've traded for myself for a long time, as well as been a broker for other customers for a long time. It's hard to get across to investors that, you know, you can be dead right. You can know that there's nothing, there's been no real change out in the field. Cattle are still tight. You know, there might be some slight, you know, slight changes, but when sentiment changes, you have to realize that. And, you know, you don't want to be dead right. Like you could have a green light to go across that intersection, but you can see from your right out of the corner of your eye, somebody that's going to blow the red from your right to your left. 
Now, just because you have that green light, does that mean you continue through the intersection? Or do you take caution and break and let that guy go through before you, you know? And right now, that's what the sentiment's done. Yeah. Um, you, you can be right, but you don't want to be dead right. So you have to break and wait until the sentiment changes before you want to dip your toe back in the water. If you want to be a bull, now, my ranchers are always bulls, no pun intended, but they, you know, they're long to cash, right? So you're already long. You just have to look for opportunities and ways to um, market your, your 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 cattle so that you don't, or at least protect, so that you don't get too hurt on these big down moves. I, I think, um, you know, obviously there's a difference between cash and futures, and the futures market for the uh, the livestock is also a little bit of a different animal than it is for the grains. Um, and I think that this is just one massive, massive psychological sea change in sentiment that uh, you're going to have to wait through uh, to see um, how, how things shake out. Do, do futures rally back up to meet cash? Does cash come down a little bit to meet futures? I think there will probably be somewhere in the middle there. But uh, at the same time, you have to remember that nothing's really changed out in the field. We're going to move into a time where folks start to realize that, hey, yeah, um, we things are still tight. Um, we have a lot of great uh, uh, economists and ag advisors that come on Market Day Report, which I'm on half of the day, uh, that still say that, uh, you know, we have a problem, but we're going to have to let the market do what it's going to do um, while you're a long cattle or you're a producer or a, a rancher because uh, to try to fight City Hall on this one is going to be an expensive proposition. Yeah, and you said, I, I just saw this on Friday, the most recent commitment of traders report uh, by the CFTC on Friday showed the net long position in live cattle at 27,000 contracts, which is the lowest it's been in years. Yeah, so and you're probably going to have to see, well, you're probably going to have to see that get a little bit lower, but I mean, we're getting closer to the mm-hmm. end of that uh, carnage. I mean, and that's exactly. what it's been is carnage. And, and, and you know, just, just so the the listener can understand, like, that sentiment change, there are some keys out there, and one of them is going to be open interest or, or commitment to traders. Uh, those are great uh, clues. Um, and they don't, and nobody nobody rings a bell on the low of the day, and nobody rings a bell on the high of the day or, or of the year. But, um, for instance, in wheat, you've seen wheat kind of take it hard on the chin yeah. uh, today. But, I mean, if you look back, you know, we, we've had a stellar rally. And while we were rallying, open interest was going down. So if you've been in the business as long as I have, that says, okay, that smells like some shorts are getting out. Well, those those shorts stopped buying today. Um, they've largely been you know, taken out. We've seen open interest come off pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. So when they're done getting out of their shorts, this is a natural reaction. And so you can relax. And, and if you're a consumer and you need to buy wheat, want to wait a little bit, um, this might not be over yet because we have gotten those shorts out of the market. If you're a bull, you might have to wait until the WASD at the end of the, uh, end of January, but I'm not quite so sure that's going to change dramatically. So we have some really interesting markets. We've got this exit of the inflation money. Uh, we have a, a sentiment change when it comes to a lot of the things we trade, obviously cattle being one, but wheat's another one too, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and look at corn. I mean, corn, corn they've all come off. I mean, what am I talking about? They've all come off, but, uh, and so largely due to the fact that I think that um, these geopolitical stories have gotten tiring. They haven't changed, but they've gotten tiring. Just like maybe that cattle tightening is tiring, right? So let the longs that, you know, wrote it up get out. And maybe we need some fresh new buying once we get to some better prices. And I think 
this is just a natural evolution. It's just one of those things. It's almost impossible to teach sentiment change until you actually lose your own money. And once yeah. you lose your own money, guess what? You learn pretty quick. Yeah. That's the best tuition and education there is. And, um, you know, what this, so this all this that goes down. I mean, we are ranchers, we are producers, and we pay attention. Obviously, watch the board. I mean, giant swings in the last two or three weeks. I mean, today was up two bucks live cattle, and now we kind of just settled kind of off. To what what you guys really really watch interest rates, the ten year ten uh, uh, year yield, wage increases, everything. Let's just get down to it. What is the actual feeling of a recession? Is it coming? Are we over it? What's the bear and the bull conversation on a recession? Well, I mean, this uh, this is going to be my own personal point of view, not RFUTV. And, and there's okay. a lot of people out there that, that disagree with me. But I'm telling you right now, I've, you know, 36 years, I'm in my 37th year in the business. I can feel the pain that the consumer in America is feeling. Now, you can tell me all you want about the returns in the stock market indexes, right? You can tell me all you want about how tight the job market is, but I'm telling you what, I'm looking for, um, I'm looking for somebody to fill a role here. It's a medium to senior level role. Uh, we, we're getting tons of resumes. Um, if you're, I think if you've got a good job between the age of 25 and 45, you better not lose it because it's not as tight as the Bureau of Labor, Labor Statistics tells me or you. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any hard and fast evidence. I have a lot of little context clues like we've never had more people working second and third jobs we've never had more people um you know with a side hustle driving for uber or being a dj at a wedding on a saturday night right mm-hmm. um those types of things are telling me that it's not that great even though there's a 1.3 job openings for every applicant that's looking um i think that the pandemic really distorted a lot of these uh, uh, uh these data points and it's going to take two or three years for us to work through them to finally get back to a place where we can really start to rely on the data because the job market they say is tight, but it's not as it's nowhere near as tight as they say. And I have I just have I have anecdotal evidence. I I don't go on television trying to say that because everybody will attack me. But <laughs> um, I just I, I just oh I just know that nobody wants to lose their job in at RFTV that's forty years old because they don't think they'll be able to find another one. And I think that's probably the case and 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 like i said anecdotally i'm looking for somebody for a, a fairly senior job and, I, and we're not having any problem getting resumes it's not an issue at all so i think that maybe it's 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 1.3 you know 1.3 waiter and waitress jobs for every person that might want a better job yeah but those things don't match up right it's like you can't fire everybody off the keystone pipeline and expect them to walk over and get a job installing solar panels i mean um, yes, there are going to be guys that get hired to install solar panels, but it's not going to be the guys you just fired that are oil rig workers or, 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 or building pipelines, right? So there's a disconnect there, right? You, you, so I, I think, um, I, so I, I'm, that's a long way of telling you, I think the economy's in, in, in a bad way. Yep. Um, I don't want to be over hyperbolic. I just think it is bad. Um, and we've all been trying to think, you know, say a recession is coming. Uh, but the problem is, is that we, we kind of got the timing wrong and the timing was wrong because of the consumer and the consumer is 70% of our, of our economy. And the consumer started off by spending the pandemic savings from all the giveaways, right? But once we drove our savings rate from an all time high to an all time low, which is at an all time low now, we moved over to credit cards and everybody started ramping mm. up their credit card purchases 
The credit card bill for the country is now over a trillion dollars. And funny enough, it's the same time we've seen the highest interest rates we've had in 15 years. That's a double whammy. And then after they got sick and tired of doing that, they went and they they went to to home equity lines of credit, take a little bit out of the equity of my home because housing's housing's gone up so much. Well, those rates started to climb six, seven, eight, nine percent. So they stopped doing that, and then they went in to raid their four hundred one k's for hardship loans. And then once that was done, now they've gone on to one last thing, and that is this uh, uh, buy now pay later, which we saw happen over. Uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Well, let me just give you the most telling stat I think I can bring up that I, I, in a long time. If you have, if inflation is running at three point two percent, which it is right now officially, I, I, you know, our grocery bills are twenty five percent higher. Let's not kid each other, but that's compounding inflation, right? So when I say three point two percent, that means it's three point two percent higher than it was this time last year. But the inflation rating this time last year was up seven point seven percent. So when you start, you compound inflation just like you compound interest rates. That's why your grocery bill doesn't feel like it's going down because it's not. Number one and number two is you've got the, the government saying, you know, look look at the great job we've done with inflation. Okay, so I'm getting fatter at a lesser rate. Now you're trying to tell me I'm skinnier. Going back to what I said earlier, so we've got an issue where the consumer is hurting. And the things that we touch every single day, like food and fuel, are the things that are the most expensive. There are things in that CPI, that consumer price index, that we don't do every day, like buy a house, buy a car, buy a fridge. You know, those things have come down in price, not housing, but say the car and the fridge. But you don't buy them every day. But we eat every day. And those those things are definitely up between 20 and 25%. Mm-hmm. So now we've got this consumer that's really stretched. And it's starting to come come to fruition, but you've got uh, the other guys. I'll just tell you that the people that would disagree with me, and there are a lot, say that look at look at how many jobs are open. One point three jobs for every job person. Okay, I get that. Yeah, four, we got a three point seven percent unemployment rate, the lowest in forty years. But we also have two, you know, more people working second and third jobs than all time, you know, than ever before, and more people with side hustles than ever before. Um, and I see layoffs. I don't see massive hirings. So we've got this worth this inflection point where I ultimately think that yeah, I will be right and it will come to fruition. I'm not saying we're gonna have Armageddon. You know, I'm not gonna be saying we're gonna have a twenty five percent unemployment rate and people are gonna be selling their children like we did in nineteen twenty nine. No. But I am saying that we're gonna see a significant slowdown. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna affect that could be why you saw some of the speculation or that sentiment change eke into or not eke in, but slam cattle, right? Because Who's going to have a ton of money to, to do those things? So with the consumer being 65 to 70% of the economy, I think they're, I, I know they're hurting. I do know. Um, I, I think that it's just only a, it's a question of time. And the reason why everybody's gotten the timing wrong is because nobody saw how many different avenues the consumer would go to, to keep this idea of, they call it doom spending, D O O M doom spending. Like, Hey, yeah, uh, I've seen myself through this pandemic. I don't care anymore. I'm gonna have fun because I have money manager friends who tell me people are walking in the door my age, 58, have don't have anything in saving, don't have anything saved for retirement because they just don't care anymore. I mean, I can't afford that house at eight percent mortgage rate. Well, I'm gonna start spending the money I was gonna save for to buy that house, and who knows if I can ever retire? I'm just gonna start spending and have fun. That's called doom spending, and there's an actual thing for it because it's actually happening. So these are all new things that I never had to take into consideration when I was a younger guy in the money markets. 
But I'll say to those younger guys that are in the money markets, when you graduated in 2008 at the age of 21 with your, you know, with your finance degree, you graduated at the one of the weirdest times in my in the history of my career because then we saw unprecedented, artificially low, suppressed interest rates. So for 15 years, you saw zero percent interest rates. You know, I heard the best research I got today was this is more like the 90s, right? When I was growing up in the business, I started in 87, 88. But when I was starting to get my real, you know, earn my wings per se, and you know, the 10-year yield was between five and eight percent for the that 10-year period in uh, the 1990s, right? We uh, there was a lot of other things that were more normal-ish, where these kids for the last 15 years, you could be a 36-year-old and have never really seen an interest rate rise until last year. Yeah. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Which is amazing. Yeah. I mean, my, my generation does not know how to, in agriculture, how to handle a high interest rate or a climbing interest rate because we've never seen it. And when something like it, we, and that's an input, let's be dead serious. Uh, an input interest yeah. is an input. And when it triples, if any input triples in, in agriculture, it is a massive problem. Well, you're going to get some help on some of the physicals, but you're not going to get any help on your operating loan. Yeah. Yeah, if you could, if you could throw me a throw me a lifesaver for that, I'd take it, no doubt. And well, we all- because and so 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 these these farms are big. I mean, and the, and the capital requirements are big. I mean, look, we lease our land out. I don't know what I I know right now. I, I don't have the exact number, but when I was a kid in the '80s and helping my dad out, I remember, you know, we used to hope to make an acre what these people are now paying us an acre to to rent the land, which to me is insane. Okay, but I'll let them. I'll happily let lease it out to them. But the money involved to run an operation, I know a ton of guys that have one, two, three million dollar, you know, revolving lines of credit or operating loans to run their business. That's that's not crazy. These I mean, you got ten thousand acres. You're, maybe you're even using more than that. Mm-hmm. But when interest rates were hardly, you know, hardly anything, that was costing you thirty grand every million. Well, now it's going to cost you eighty or ninety grand every million, and you know that's your three times. You know, it's gone up. 300%. So now you've got 90 grand times however million you use. I mean, all of a sudden, that's a quarter of a million bucks, maybe more, depending on how big your farm is that you weren't expecting to come out of your bottom line. Oh, for sure. That's not going to go away. So when I tell you the Fed funds rate today is at five and a quarter to five and a half. They talk, they talk in terms of a range, okay? So we're right now, we're at five and a quarter to five and a half. We've come up from zero. Jeez. I went back and did the research. I went back and, and did the research. So that's what we've done last year, right? Yep. Um, they're, they're expected to not move them again this week, so you're safe there. But I, uh, going back to 1971, do you know what the average Fed funds rate is? No. Five, five point four two. We're right in the middle. Oh, we're right there. So, so when you hear everybody talk about higher for longer, no, 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 no. It's going to be more normal for longer. I'm comfortable at these rates. But the problem is free money, jacked up land values, jacked up house rates, jacked up ranches. I mean, everything got jacked up because people were able to take this money out for next to nothing and and pay for stuff with it. But now, and the government's just as guilty. I've never seen the national debt rise from, uh, you know, it's going to rise two and a half trillion in the space of seven or eight months. We started the summer with a $31.5 trillion deficit. We're going to go through $34 trillion before we have a happy new year part. That's insane. That's insane. So you kind of you kind of hit on that a little bit um, about you know invest or spend like you're in Congress in their portfolio. 
Well, that's, I mean, they, they don't know how to say no. I mean, and it's un, it's unelectable. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you can't get elected to Congress by saying, I'm going to go stop spending and cut entitlements. Yep. Yep. It's just, it's just not going to get you there. So, I mean, and, 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 and to that, well, to that matter, um, you know, I'll look this up for you, but the, the, we, we have, uh, our leaders are talking about trillions of dollars, like it's nothing. Okay. And I use this all the time uh, on my show, but if a, if a second on a clock was a dollar, um, how many minutes would it take to burn a million, a million bucks if a million, if a second was a dollar, right? So a million seconds on a clock equals 12 days. Okay. Or a billion, a billion seconds on a clock equals 31 years. Jeez. So a, a, a trillion seconds on a clock is 31,688 years for a trillion seconds. So a trillion seconds ago, we had Neanderthals dragging their knuckles across the plains of Europe. And we have our, 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 our legislators, they, they talk about spending packages of one, two, three trillion dollar spending packages. Think about that. They have no idea how the hurt that they're putting on this country. And so you have to also factor that in to what the economy is going to be doing next year. We're going to go over a trillion dollars just for the interest on the money that we've borrowed for the first time ever next year. Okay. The interest on the money that we borrowed is going to be 10% of our country's budget annually. It's insane. Oh. Can you imagine if you're, if you ran your household where 10% of your, your income was eaten up by the interest rate on your credit cards, not even the principal. No. So am I, are you shaking yet? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted when you put it that way. No, you so don't. This is the situation that we're in. So then I say this recession. Okay. Let's have the argument. Um, I'm just going to tell you right now, anybody, almost everybody that's talking about this on television right now is just arguing about where they're going to put the deck chairs on the Titanic when we need to be worried about the lifeboats. It's not if it's going to sink, it's going to sink. It's just, where are you going to be when it does? Yeah. yeah exactly. And I'm not saying that hyperbolically. I'm not saying that, you know, like, you know, we're not having 25% unemployment where people are going to be selling their children like we had uh, for, you know, the great recession in 1929, but it's going to slow down. Absolutely. For sure. There's no question. It's just how mm -hmm. and when. Yeah. Will you be on a lifeboat or will you not be? Right. And, and yeah. And, and, you know what? You can't say I didn't see it coming because yeah. if you're, you know, I own, I own the website and I haven't done anything with it. I don't, you know, anybody that's got any ideas, I'd, I'd love to hear it, but I own uh commonsensocrat.com, right? <laughs> because we, we don't have any, you know, common sense is, you know, that's what I love about the agricultural community, or at least, the, you know, our, our, you know, that there, it's the last bastion of common sense in America for sure. Maybe even the world. I mean, uh, it's it's going to be this the community that we reach on my show and our network like we're ESPN for farmers right and ranchers absolutely we're 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 reaching the last bastion of the people um, I'm I don't want to say because I get in trouble when I say it but it's I feel it it's like they're going to be the people that save this country not that the country needs saving per se but they're going to rescue it from its doldrums right now that's probably a better way to put it because they have common sense 
and this garbage that we're listening to from our legislators who don't know how big $2 trillion really is and don't know that the, our interest debt is going to be 10% of their budget next year and don't know that our interest debt is going to be over a trillion dollars. And by the way, do you know, I mean, I'm sure in your lifetime, you've seen people protest about how much money we spend on defense and all the people out there that don't want us to spend that much money on defense, right? Yep. That's $850 billion. We're going to spend a trillion on interest. Are, are they out there protesting with flags saying stop spending? Interest is killing us? No. no. They don't understand. No. It's not going to happen. That's the situation. That, that's the world we're living right now. So it has to slow down. We cannot stay. Right now, this path is unsustainable. And like I said, it's not when, it's not if, but when, and are you getting your life raft ready? Or are you arguing with the guy next door about where the, where the deck chair is supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So what's your solution? What is, what is your, um, what is yeah, your solution? Just make sure, you, I mean, I would say you have to, you, you have to have, you know, some, some emergency money available. Not, you know, not crazy, not run on the bank crazy, but you're going to have to make sure that you are your worst case scenario. You can get by, right? Because if you're going to have to sell something to get by, that means things are pretty bad and everybody else is trying to sell. So you're not going to get what you thought you'd get for whatever you thought you were going to get for selling something when things went bad, right? You yeah. can't say, oh, I got a house. I can sell that. Well, and when everybody else has the same idea as you do, you, you can't get that done. So you have to be able to, and actually, to be honest with you, that's when you should be buying them. Oh, sure. That's sound advice. So, yeah. I, you know, I just think like that and get a little bit more aggressive. Don't be afraid. I'm not saying be afraid, but aggressively gird your yourself for a bumpy ride. And and I tell you what, I look at it like as a, a huge opportunity. Oh, for, yeah, and that's well, there's a the silver lining, right, for the crash. Well, I don't want to say crash per se because people get scared. I don't want anybody to be afraid. I want them to just do their homework. And what I mean by that is, can you handle your worst case scenario if your income goes down by half? How long can you go for that? I mean, not that they, you know, not that we're going to go that long. And I'm not saying it's going to go down by half. But start building in some if then go to kind of a computer program for your own business, so you're not surprised by anything. Because surprises are what kill you. Well, I'll just give you. You got. Uh, you always say this on your show. Give us your ten second, uh, ten second advice for it. I don't. Don't be. Don't be afraid. But just know that our path is unsustainable. And so make your plan so that, you, number one, you can handle a downturn, but number two, take advantage of the downturn, too. That's great advice, and we loved having you on. Appreciate it, Scott Shelley, right there, RFD TV. That's it for this episode, guys. We will talk again. Keep your eye on those markets, and uh, we'll see you on the next time on The Most of the Best.